Welcome to Peeves' Gap Fest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meeks. Okay, so um, <clears throat> today we will be discussing The Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 13, A Very Secret Diary. And this is about an hour and 25 minutes to an hour and 34 minutes of the film. Before we start gabbing, we wanted to give a quick spoiler warning. We will be using our vast knowledge of the wizarding world to compare the page to the screen. So we may be gabbing about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So you've been warned, Dicklefirsties. Before we begin, a message from the Daily Prophet. It's Quidditch season, and planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. We don't want anyone falling off their brooms from dehydration. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep during wood speeches, power through the game, and recover in the common room afterwards. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional potions. I have tried the grape... The sea berry and the cherry. And I would say sea berry and cherry are my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. I'll have to try the cherry. I haven't tried that one yet. I was kind of like hoping that was like the best one. So I'm saving it for last. Because <laughs> compared to lemon lime, I was like, I'm not sure if like that would be like a disappointment or something. So I'm hoping it's really good. Because it's the last it one. It is really good. And <laughs> I like how like saturated the flavor is of liquid IV. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel it's, all watery. It's right. It's very strong. Like the grape one was a really like powerful, like just flavor profile in like a big cup of water. Like I had I think it was like forty ounce bottle and it didn't feel like diluted or watery at all. It just was like flavor. Bam. We're like, whoa. Yes, I agree. And I love a good flavorful water. Yes, I do too. Well, and it's nice if something's really flavor packed, you know, just as is, because then you can always water it down per your taste rather than you having to like use double of the concentrate or something. Exactly. Well, one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than any other potion and comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Made with premium ingredients and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that Equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world and has partnered with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GABFEST to at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GABFEST at liquidiv.com. (laughs) 
Welcome back, listeners. Uh, today, I wanted to kick off discussion with the most egregious thing they've ever cut from the books, and that is the Valentine's Day celebration. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, most of my issues with this ad- adaptation is that. <laughs> I knew that would be your biggest problem with this chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could probably do like a five hour long episode just on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am joking. Of course, we won't spend most of our conversation talking about that. But um, I did think that (laughs) (laughs) this whole thing being cut, there's a lot of humor with the Valentine's Day stuff. And um, like I said, I knew that Migs would be talking all about that. But we're really going to begin our conversation with the finding of Tom Riddle's journal. And Harry and Ron, uh, you know, come across all the water spilling out of the bathroom. They come in, they find Myrtle, who explains that somebody tossed this journal through her. And so she's kind of flooding the bathroom in her tears. Aren't we all, Myrtle? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I guess my main issue with this the beginning part of the chapter is that it feel well okay I shouldn't say my main issue my main issue is the removal of all of the valentines everything but they're like Hermione's in the hospital wing for weeks which is mm-hmm. a big deal that she's there for weeks and in the film they just kind of like brush it off like oh she turned into a cat but psych she's fine and so that to me that's strange that they just took Well, them. and I think it has to do with the fact that we always talk about how they have to condense the whole book into a film and they rush through things. Um and in the book it's the Christmas holiday, so she most of these this time period is over the holiday and so kids aren't here and then um I think once school resumes, it's not weeks that she's missing, but it does cause a little bit of a, the rumor mill on where she is. But I think once school resumes, she comes back pretty quickly. But I agree with you. I mean, they do gloss over the fact. And we talked last week about how the pain of Polyjuice Potion and what it would be like to be turned into a cat. And you're not supposed to even be turned into animals. So who knows what Madame Pomfrey is having to do to help her. To transform her back. Yeah. She's lucky that she could even get transformed back. Let's be Mm. honest. I think it was, um, it's, it is this chapter that Ron's like explaining all of these random spells books can do to you and Mm -hmm. how it has like permanent effects on your life forever. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it is a very under, um, dis underdeveloped, thing in the movies about how powerful magic is in the harry potter world i mean even the hospital saint mungo's is like a huge part in showing that magic has destructive Mm -hmm. abilities that can permanently cripple you for the rest of your life um and yet we don't really get that a lot in the movies. It doesn't necessarily dive into that. And it's probably because there wasn't a lot of time to explore that. And you don't really get a lot of time to explore that in in a short two-hour film. But it, it kind of just goes to show you like how dangerous magic could be at any turn. And like she's, it, in fact, really lucky to have even gotten back to normal after 
an experiment quote unquote with polyg's potion that has like so many rounded effects that you that are really unpredictable mm-hmm. so you want a tidbit <laughs> always my tidbit is for this uh for this one right now is that um Lockhart in this chapter during the valentine's day party suggests that snape should teach how to make a love potion which is something right. that he would never do but the mirror of this book is book six which we do get Mm-hmm. a love potion demonstration from slughorn who is the new potions master so this love potion comes full circle mm-hmm. good old ring theory um before we get into our valentine's day discussion anything else to talk about myrtle in the bathroom scene oh so i didn't even realize we're on that scene um i should have realized i don't know why i didn't anyways um that scene is very interestingly well played to me um, because I I can't really see Moaning Myrtle play that character other than the actress who did it, and so she did a, like she, her portrayal of the character is just ingrained in my brain. So like when I'm reading the book, all I can hear is ten points if you get it through her stomach. Mm-hmm. 20 points if you get it through her head and it's just like her like classic like she she just did it so well like i can't even like voice wise in my head just can't hear it Mm -hmm. any other way than what the movie does and i think that kind of shows how lasting her her character was even if we don't get her a lot after this movie which is a travesty but um the, the moments that we do get her, she did a, she really committed well to the character and and brought this character to life. And I can't wait to see who who can do it next. So, mm-hmm. and I do uh, love what she does with the scenes in the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, she does a really good job with that. All right, Meigs, why don't you lead our comedic Valentine's celebration conversation? Well. I guess real quick, one other thing with, um, you know, two little points with this part before we get into Valentine's. Um, one of them is, I think it's, uh, it's foreshadowing when they get to the point where like when they're, when Hermione's still in the hospital wing, they find the diary, they bring it to Hermione so she can look at it. And right where that's not where that's before the next, that's before the Valentine's saying, right. I'm not mixing things up. I think so. Mm hmm. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not jumping ahead. Um, and they and there's like the 50 years ago. They find out the diary's 50 years old. And then Tom Riddle won special services to the school 50 years ago. So they're in the hospital wing talking and Hermione's awake. And, and so Ron is the slowest to figuring out what that connection is between the 50-year-old thing. That is such foreshadowing for later on. And James, you probably have a tidbit about this. But with the ring theory, <laughs> but there's so much of that that happens throughout the series where Harry and Hermione like pick it up really quickly and Ron is slow on the the comeuppance to use last chapter's <laughs> word. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's it seems small, like, oh, ha ha ha, Ron was just like a little slower at figuring it out, you know, the way she wrote that dialogue, but it really foreshadows what the what the dynamic is like and then ron's insecurity about he knows that 
they that Harry and Hermione pick things up quicker and he gets insecure about that, you know, in book seven um, because of all of his other insecurities that feed into it. So I thought that that was interesting foreshadowing to happen early on. Um, and then what did I write? Oh, okay. Before they pick up the diary and Ron stops him. This is another thing that I think is, it seems small and kind of like a silly little conversation where Ron like stops Harry from picking up the diary. And then he starts explaining all of these, you know, dangerous objects that his dad has had to deal with, with the ministry. Um, It seems like, oh, whatever, kind of like a throwaway little bit of dialogue, but really that's more, um, more of not not necessarily foreshadowing but emphasizing how ron has so much experience with the wizarding world because he grew up in it but also he has a parent who worked at the ministry he has a lot of older siblings who have gone through a lot of stuff and so he knows so much about what it means to be a witch or a wizard and harry is so naive about these things and so it's just so interesting how they have that different dynamic where Harry's the hero. He's the one that accomplishes everything. He saves everyone all the time, but Ron's really the one that has all of the like wisdom of the, of the wizarding world. So I thought that that was really interesting. So the, the small thing that I want to mention is when Ron is talking about this and he's like, no, here are examples of dangerous objects. And he said, there's a book that curses you to read forever. And I wrote that down. Like I, I want to, read that book because then like oh no i can't i just i have to read forever now i can't do anything else i'm sorry (laughs) well (laughs) um to bring you down a little bit meeks i envision that as being um like you're reading that page and you can't let that page like you're just reading this page and you can't do anything else but have your eyes on this one page to reality sorry (laughs) um is that the ring theory though james is that ron warns harry about a dangerous book because in the sixth book we get the potions book which i mean that wasn't ever thrown out there in the ring in the in the companion which that's a good ring theory that does match uh it does track because it literally does match um no, what I am about to share with you is a travesty. Oh. <laughs> because it's a deleted oh scene. Oh. <laughs> uh, the deleted scene is Ron and Harry, after finding the journal in the girls' bathroom, sitting in the hospital wing with Hermione in the middle of mm. the night uh, or evening. It was dark. Uh, and telling her about the journal and she's like Tom Marvolo Riddle and she reads it out loud and he's just like oh, I wonder what this is and Ron's like automatically bursts out and goes Tom Marvolo Riddle are you sure and they're like yeah why and he's like oh well he, I just I know that name from the trophies room after I had cleaned it so much after throwing mm-hmm. slugs up on it and stuff like that and um, uh, he had taught he told them about the special award and Harry is like what did he win the award for? And Ron's like, I don't know. But it was given to him about 50 years ago. And Hermione was like, 50 years ago? And yeah, Ron's like, yeah, why? And she was like, don't you remember? Malfoy told you that the chamber was last opened 50 years ago. And then they get into that whole discussion of like whether or not uh, this book has the ability to tell it. And Harry is like, yeah, well, that would be great if only 
the book actually had writing in it. And then he opens the book and shows that it's blank. Uh, and then that's where the scene ends. But mm. the reason why I'm so miffed about it a little bit is because that's Ron being drafted the butt end of the stick again with character growth because he contributes, but we don't see it. It's taken mm-hmm. out of the film. And so like all of his contributions are being shortchanged essentially because that's a port a potent piece of information that he gives both Harry and Ron at that moment. And his, you know, his, he, he, he's contributing and he feels like he's having that helping in that conversation. And we, we get to see that, but then it's taken out of the film in, in regards to that. We never, nobody ever even knows about it until the watch deleted scenes. And so it's just a travesty to, to have Mm -hmm. poor Ron be given the short changes with the stick again. And again, and again. How many times has <laughs> it been again, now? <laughs> and again, and again. So that's what it was. Oh yeah, what a bummer as always. Are you ready <laughs> to move on to the next topic? <laughs> good. Okay, <laughs> are are we going to talk about the the love poem that Harry receives from a dwarf mm. in a keep it out? I want to talk about all of it. Like I just <laughs> want this whole episode to be pink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the whole episode to be pink. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Like we we have our Christmas episode, and this is our Valentine's Day episode. Well, I mean, it's just interesting the differences to, and, and this leads into the the diary scene in of itself because when he's being confronted by this dwarf, his bag rips and his ink spills everywhere, and that's how Harry <laughs> discovers that the book didn't get damaged, and that's where he, that's where he he kind of puts the puzzle pieces together and then experiments. Whereas in the movie adaptation, we're kind of getting him just playing with it, and then he's like. I'll just write in it. What the hey? And he just writes in it and that's how he discovers it. And so it's just interesting, the comparison where it's just like Harry's more of a detective in the book and he's piecing this puzzle together. But in the movie, it was kind of just circumstantial slash lucky even that he even discovered that in the first place. Um, And so, you know, that whole scene in, in it in, in together is funny, and I definitely want to see a dwarf tackle Harry by the knees, yes, and sing him this poem <laughs> that so has been that he's been so given. <laughs> that would be hilarious. And you know, I'm fine because recently we've had this uh, controversy with dwarves in with the Snow White movie coming out. Um, I'm fine with them changing it from being dwarves to goblins or even house elves or something um, to kind of avoid this sort of controversy. Um, but I, I want, I want to see some sort of magical creature tackling Harry. I want to see the singing poems. I want to see the great hall decked out. I want to have a speech by Lockhart. <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you say that because I think this is the only time we ever even hear about dwarves in the magical world mm-hmm. um, because it is a big focus on house elves and, and goblins and, and all this other stuff. But 
I don't remember any other instance where dwarves are involved. Like, this is, like, like, to me, this is the only time that they ever really appear in the world. Right. Um, I just had a thought. It could be a cherub because they have cherubs in the fifth book, I think, at Valentine's Day at the tea shop where Harry and Cho have their date. Um, And for for some context, Mm -hmm. the cherub is like a Cupid. Mm -hmm. Little Valentine's Day Cupid. Yeah, I think that that would be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, totally. I agree. It doesn't really matter to me what the creature is. I just want to see and um, imagine being right a little winged baby Cupid tackling yeah. Harry. <laughs> yeah, that <was> really <laughs> by funny. the knees and just going like, "You're not going anywhere." Tell yeah. me, yeah. sing you this song. That, that scene never fails to be hilarious. And yeah, mm-hmm. I really want to see it on screen. Just the chaos of it. Yeah, I know. But exactly. Because it like keeps I getting I also worse. want to see Harry use Expelliarmus for the first time. Yeah. Officially. That is important. This is, this is Harry's signature spell and he learned mm, it yeah. from Snape. He saw Snape use it and he was just like so angry with Draco that he had Riddle's diary in his hand and he's about to embarrass Harry even more trying to like embarrass harry with this whole love thing and he's just like he's had it he doesn't care about anything he's just expelliarmus and the book goes flying i Mm. i want to see that because it's essentially the start of what his signature spell is and Mm -hmm. and harry's confidence of being able to use that spell on a consistent basis because he had no doubt whatsoever he just did it and he was like afterwards he was just like whoa that felt exhilarating almost essentially um so that definitely needs to make it into the tv show because of how significant the spell is for one but just like how harry took control of the situation and decided that it was time to to stop letting draco just bully him around yeah yeah any other thoughts or Meigs, do you have anything else to say about the comedy of this before we get into kind of the main portion of this chapter? I mean, obviously so much. I think it's just, I could go on and on, so I won't, but yeah, it's a real bummer that they, <laughs> that they took it out. And, and also, you know, Lockhart decorating the professor table or the staff table and like just all of it. That's so there are so many things that they could do with it and it would be so good to keep it in. So I really, 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 really hope that they keep it in, in the TV show. (laughs) (laughs) They need to. All right. So the main uh, portion of this chapter is in fact um, a pretty important plot point as well. And that is Harry going into the memory of Tom Riddle and finding what happened finding out what happened 50 years ago with Tom and Hagrid, it turns out. Dun, dun, dun. Well, delete to scene number one. Ah. Well, two, sorry. Um, <clears throat> Harry, it's not a very big one. It's just Harry sitting in the common room with a ghost and he's holding the diary and he's about to write in it and he's kind of just like wants some privacy. So he's like, do you mind? And the ghost is like offended and just walks up, walks through the table and just walks away. And then he grabs a pen to be able to start writing. And that's it. Um, it, it just a random ghost. Just a random ghost. That's a girl huh. ghost re- reading a book oh. or something. Huh? Interesting. 
Yeah, right? That that could be deleted. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I figured as much, but you know, I have to stay congruent with my my mm-hmm. tidbits here. I have to always say the deleted scenes. Always. Yeah, it's my thing. <laughs> but it's good to know that they, you know, what else they're filming and hiding from us. <laughs> I definitely think um, how they played this scene versus how it came out in the book um, was very interesting um, because a lot. It, 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 the tone in and of itself is different for sure between the two, uh, between the two. Um, the adaptation's tone is just very, I don't know how to like put it into words, but more <laughs> of like a, sad heroic tale you can kind of see like you can kind of see how like Voldemort's manipulating the memory uh, Mm -hmm. in sorts yeah whereas in the book it just feels like Harry's experiencing all of this stuff firsthand and it feels a little bit more horrifying for him um a little bit more intense I uh, it to say the word and and so the movie in of itself is a little bit more toned down, uh, which you can definitely feel. But in the book, it's Harry's got this intensity and this high anxiety of being like finding the answer. Like you, he's energetically writing in the book. I'm doing like I'm experiencing that right now, and like I'm about to get these answers. This is like really exciting. And then like Riddle's like, "Do you want to see it?" And like you keep, and apparently Tom Riddle's apparently like scribbling on his end, being like, "Yes, I know all the answers, and I really wanted to right. like let somebody know." Uh, like you know, that's intense. That's anxious. Like like Harry's about to discover what he's been wanting to discover for like the past couple of chapters now, and the answers are right here in this book. And so it's all very anxious. Where it's in the movie, it's kind of just nonchalant, laid back, just like. I just discovered this book can talk to me. My name's Harry Potter. Hi, Harry Potter. I'm Tom Riddle. That's cool. Like, what else can you do? Uh, you know, it's just like, it's not, it's not the same vibe for like at all. And it's just interesting. And I, I feel like it works for the film for what the film does. I don't have any quarrels with how this was portrayed, but like, it's just interesting to, to see how they went with it when the tone of this moment is com- the complete opposite. There's no, there is no middle ground between these two. It's, it's one extreme to the other extreme, um, which is just an interesting observation to have. I mean, yeah, I think it, again, for like, for it being a film, I think it was, I think that they did fine. I think for an adaptation, it was, mostly fine but i i think that there's just a lot of i guess what appears on like a surface level to be normalcy as far as like how um how riddle is communicating with the headmaster and how he's so good at talking in a seemingly normal way but really he's always strategizing whereas the film makes it really 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 obvious that he's a bad guy or that he's like creepy or something, you know, something. And so I think that there's a lot of 
like normalcy and then Harry noticing the details about the headmaster who's not Dumbledore and how Dumbledore's office is very different, but a different headmaster is going to have a very different office decor going on. You know, there's a lot of things like that that are present in the book, which of course books are different than films just because of the nature of what the medium is. But I think, I think that they can still, um, they would be able to make those details come across. And so I think it was overall fine. But if I were a filmmaker and I were planning this out, I would have as almost always wanted to keep it closer to, to what the, the feeling that the book was giving off. I agree with you, Meigs. I felt it was just, uh, well, I, yeah, I agree with both of you. It was just really tonally off from what the book had kind of spelled out for us. Well, and it's just the mindset even just like Harry's about to discover the, the big secret, the big who did it. And Tom's just feeding him these answers that he's been looking for. And like who, what 12 year old wouldn't get excited about that. Um, And so, you know, the excitement of Harry in the book is totally justified. Whereas like we, we don't, we don't get that. He's just like, discovering this big altering secret and he's kind of just like what and it is you're kind of just like wow that's kind of like sad like that just totally landed flat like come on like hagrid was the one who opened the chamber of secrets like be a little bit more like what right and in the film, we had that dramatic scene of Harry flying backwards going, Hagrid! And then he pops out of the book and he's just like, whoa! And then the scene ends. Um, but in the book, we have Ron happens to come in after he pops out of the journal and he's like, it was Hagrid! Ron, it was Hagrid! And I, you know, that's exactly what you're talking about. That's that emotion that we need to see. Yep. Which, by the way, <laughs> brings me to deleted scene number three. <laughs> <laughs> Two oh, weeks in a row, people. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Three deleted scenes. Um, hmm. I mean, anyway. we're in the you know bulk of the chat. Uh, uh, we're in the like climax of the um, not climax, but like the the turning point of the book here. So I can imagine that there was a lot to film. Um, lot to definitely. Uh, this is exactly how it played out. Like you said, uh, the scene is just Harry running into the dormitory after he had come out of the diary and going, Ron, Ron, wake up. And he wakes up Ron and he says, it was Hagrid, Ron. It was Hagrid. And he pulls out his little desk drawer, gets the invisibility cloak, and he and Ron are like going to go see Hagrid right there and then. Mm, okay. Boom. Which totally doesn't make sense because I think think this has to have happened after Hermione gets attacked. Right. Because the next scene in the film is um, the three of them talking about how it, it can't be Hagrid. Yep. So, so I don't know. Maybe those two scenes just felt, maybe those two scenes are supposed to be separate. I don't know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, 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 it was edited really well to like act like the same scene. So maybe it is two different scenes, but it it felt like the same scene, which doesn't make sense. Okay. Well, any final thoughts or, or are you, are we ready for Meeks's lightning round or? 
So, last little tidbit. Harry exploring Tom's memory in book two is very reflective to how Harry is exploring Tom's life through memories in book six. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, this isn't the only time that we ever really get to see the exploration of memories, which brings me to the question, like how exactly does the diary work? Is it kind of like a pensive? Did, right. Did, you know, did Voldemort, as he was creating the Horcrux, did Voldemort make it act like a pensive where he can store his memories? Kind of like how Dumbledore has his own little thing. Is a pensive a thing to store memories in? Or is it like Dumbledore's pensive where it's just like the little bowl holding memories? You know, it, it kind of makes you wonder what exactly is a pensive? Yeah. Because... I could totally imagine that Voldemort's diary being a place where he stored his memories and then turned it into a Horcrux, which is why we're able to explore his memories because Mm -hmm. that diary has a lot more in it besides just what happened at Hogwarts because Mm -hmm. it took him to a specific date. The pages turned. It even says in the book that the pages turned. So that means there's way more in that diary memory wise than just that moment of showing Hag- uh, Harry the had that Hagrid open the Chamber of Secrets. It's also really um, interesting that Tom Riddle would keep a diary that he would be willing to put his thoughts out there like that for any, like what kind of protection does he have on this diary? Yeah, that is really interesting. So who knows? I don't know. It just brings a lot of questions. I want answers <laughs> to them. <laughs> <laughs> There's my tidbit. I don't really have a lightning round because, you know, we discussed heavily the Valentine's Day <laughs> moment, and that was yeah. most of what I was focusing on. So, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, in that case, James, why don't you let us know what your Peeves' pleasure was? My Peeves' pleasure is the music of the adaptation uh, during the diary scene. Oh my gosh, mm. every time I hear it, I'm just like, oh, this is so good. So it's, yeah, well, John Williams is the man. He really is. That's all I can Me- say. <laughs> Meeks? Um, yeah, I will, I like the music. Um, I, I also wrote down, and this is kind of weak, uh, not to say that it's the, not to invalidate people who do this work, but um, the color and lighting in the memory, I thought was really cool, especially how they had Harry in color and yes. then everybody else was like sepia. So I thought that was a, a cool choice. Um, I really just liked the Myrtle scene. Um, I think I had so many problems with the rest of this portion of the film that that's really the only thing I can say is that I liked the Myrtle scene just fine. So, James, what was your peeves peeve? My peeves peeve. For the adaptation itself. But it's just... It's just the tone, I guess. That's really the only thing I can focus on, is the tone Mm -hmm. feels off. It worked well for what it was doing with the film, but it could have done more. We could have gone... 
more specific into what was going on, we could have maybe added a little bit of intensity. I, I, I understand what they were trying to do here. They're trying to make this a memory, like it, it's a, a flashback almost. Like there, there's elements in there that made sense to me, but overall it created a tone of this isn't important. And, but it is. It's like this is like one of the important aspects to Harry right now as a character because it helps put him on the path of discovering the actual culprit later down the road who is the person showing him the memory. Mm. But it, it, the film just makes it feel like it's just another block of information that leads down to the discovery of who it is. And, and, and it's totally not that way. And I really don't like it when people treat scenes as blocks of information. You can have scenes with information in it, but give me a scene that's engaging that brings me that information. Not just a, this is what's happening, here you go. This, you know, ooh, ah, magical and... Boom, there you have it. All your information is is was there that you need. Next scene, please. That Yeah, so I have a lot of ifs and buts about it, and that's why it's a peeve to me, is because there are parts of it I liked. There are parts of it that went real that did really well. Music was great. The coloring, like Meeg said, was awesome. But there are just things about it that falls flat to me that makes it feel like it faltered and it could have been better. Mm -hmm. So uh, that in of itself was just the disappointment for me. I think nobody will be surprised to know that my peeve is removing the humor and montage opportunity of the chapter. Yeah. My peeve as well was taking out all the Valentine's day stuff and we've already talked extensively about that so james why don't you let us know what your salute was <laughs> my salute hmm. yeah i you know struggled with this as well <laughs> i don't think i chose a salute <laughs> i just finished rereading it like right before we uh started recording so i didn't have time to process the chapter because i was rushing it mm -hmm. um if anything if i had to salute anything it would be the scene where the dwar uh, the the dwarf is singing to Harry that in the book. <laughs> I think that there that I think that there's so much going on there, not with just what I talked about with Harry like saying Spelliamus and stuff, but even with Jenny, like yeah, that whole Again, thing right there. Cutting Jenny out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you cut Jenny out, but. Jen, we th we naturally think Jenny's horrified because the dwarf is singing uh, a, a, a love song to Harry. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, was never ever confirmed if that was sent from her. It's mm -hmm. theorized a lot in the fandom that it was her, especially since Malfoy said it was, but it was never confirmed that it was her. Well, I've got a tidbit for you. <laughs> Go ahead. Do um, it. And I'm surprised you didn't read this in the companion because I'm pretty sure this is where I read it. Well, but in the poem, they refer to the dark uh, Voldemort as the Dark Lord, which, if we remember, only 
Death Eaters call Voldemort the Dark Lord. So it's theorized that Voldemort helped Ginny write the poem and therefore called him the Dark Lord. Hmm. Whoa. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm leaning a little bit towards the fact that she did it. But the point is... is oh, I'm with you. That it, yeah. She's horrified because of the journal. I'm with you on that. Yeah. But I wanted to say that tidbit. I love that tidbit. I accept that tidbit. <laughs> you also have to understand, I didn't... I, like, glazed through the companion because I just read the chapter before mm-hmm. we recorded. So I didn't have a lot of time to, like, delve deep into the companion like I normally do. Don't worry, I've got your back. But essentially like that whole scene that's written down has a lot going on for it harry's about to discover what the diary does harry uses expelliarmus for the first time there the whole chaos of the dwarf and just percy trying to get everybody to go back to their classes jenny realizing that harry has the journal because then that leads to jenny going and ransacking the boys' dormitory which leads to her having back to the journal again which leads to the next attack which is about to happen so like just so many like dominoes that are about to fall that come from this scene that a lot of people i guarantee you a lot of people overlook because of just the chaos of what cupid and you know with the cupid singing and all that stuff and maybe we'll get to it in the next chapter i don't remember how does Ginny learn that he has the journal in the film because that ransacking still happens but how do we when does do we do you guys remember i guess we'll figure it out when we watch it but do you guys remember off the top of your heads how Ginny discovers that in the film no no i don't no, not off the top okay, of my head. Well, we'll see. We'll see how they fix that problem. <laughs> Good or thing we're they, hosting a Harry Potter podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my salute is uh, Riddle Riddle's character in the film. I think he does such a good job of portraying him, and um, I just I think that you know I have my issues my issues that I brought up already with that scene. But I think with what they chose to do, I think that he did a great job. Um, and I think that he totally looks the part and mm-hmm. all that. So I think that, I think that that was a great choice. So the actor's name is Christian Colson, And it's funny that you and I, Meigs, the women of the podcast have him what? as our salute <laughs> because, Um, Voldemort, Tom Riddle is supposed to be very handsome and like poised. And I thought that this actor like played, like embodied him much better than the future actors. Well, sorry, future actors, but, um, I felt like this was a much better fit for Tom Riddle. Um, the The future actors, what? That played Tom Riddle in like the sixth book. Oh, oh, when he's little. When he's a well, young they, I think it's a couple, they have like a couple different ages, but I just don't oh, yeah, think yeah. the actor that plays him late in the later films um, yes. embody him as much as Christian Coulson does. Oh, I think he was per- like the film. perfect choice. As soon as he yeah. came on screen, I mean, I was, how old was I? 10 or whatever? 12, 13. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously big crush of course but I thought I could tell like I was like this is exactly who I was envisioning in my head as like the way Mm -hmm. that he portrayed him I thought he did such a good job so 
Nailed same. it with the casting. Well, I agree, <laughs> even though I do not like poorly at all with what like where you're coming from. You don't you don't want to sing a Valentine's <laughs> gram to him? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, as always, listeners, thank you for causing havoc with us today. Next time we will be discussing chapter 14, Cornelius Fudge. And this is about uh, an hour and 34 minutes to an hour and 42 minutes of the film. James, where can our listeners find you? They can find me at Instagram or TikTok at James M. Beltran. That's it. And you can find me, Meegs, on Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all of my other projects. And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at captain.mcd. That's M-C-D-E-E. And you can find my other projects linked there as well. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at peevesisgapfest. Ickle Farsies, don't forget to subscribe. And please, 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 please leave a five-star review. If you're as mischievous as we are, please consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash peevesisgapfest. If you have any feedback for us, please leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GABFEST. Or email us at peevesisgabfest at gmail.com. Also, come on over and join the discussion in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash peevesisgabfest. Or just search peevesisgabfest. Until next time, Igle Firsties. <laughs>